beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. It's my favorite type of episode, everyone. Welcome to another book-centric episode. This one, we're talking all about the best books we've read lately. Most of them we read this summer. The last episode I did about books and reading was back in April, episode number 11. I shared the best things I'd read in the year so far. And now here we are in September. I want to share some of the best things I've read since then. And this time I have a guest with me, Alyssa Herzig, someone I've known online. And by known, I mean we've followed one another on social media and on our blogs for years, but we've never actually met. Today's conversation was the first we've ever had directly that wasn't, you know, typed out in DMs. And I still find that so interesting about the internet after all these years. Before I tell you a little bit more about Alyssa, my guest today, I did want to make sure that you know all the books we talk about on this episode will be listed on my new Amazon storefront. That's right. I finally made a page on Amazon that links to every single book that we will talk about. It will also have pages for anything else we cover on this show over time. 
Yes, I do always link to these things in the show notes. The show notes are always available at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. But the Amazon shop will be a one-stop shop where everything recommended will be right there on one page. So that will be especially handy for these book shows. The link to that is amazon.com slash shop slash laura.tremaine. That's a bit of a mouthful. You can just look for it again in today's show description or in the show notes. As a reminder, if you shop through Amazon using that page, I will make a teeny tiny commission if you purchase something. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does support the cost of making this show. So I do appreciate you guys using those links. Lastly, in the self-promotion department, I have to tell you that my Secret Posts newsletter, the email that I send out with all my recommendations, all my personal thoughts that I do not want to share publicly on the internet, that newsletter is going out to subscribers this week for the first time in months and months. I do apologize if you've been on that list and have not received a Secret Post in a while. I'm fixing all of that this week. The secret posts are like a mini magazine, sort of. I write a little personal blurb, then I share the books I've been reading, the best links I've found on the internet. There's always a beauty and style section. It's a lot of content for one email, and typically they go out monthly. You can sign up for the secret posts at 10thingstotellyou.com. You can also unsubscribe at any time. And despite the fact that I haven't sent one out in a while, it really is the best way to stay in the know with all the things I share online and don't share online. If you're already a subscriber, please look for a new edition in your inboxes this week. Okay, today's guest, my internet friend, Alyssa Herzig. Like I said before, I've followed Alyssa for so many years now. I started following her back when I was blogging a lot more regularly. She's such a fun person to follow. Alyssa lives in Hoboken, New Jersey with her husband or two kids. She worked for years as a beauty editor at magazines such as Allure and Brides and Harper's Bazaar, Good Housekeeping. What a fun job, right? She is now the contributing beauty editor at Rachel Ray Everyday Magazine, and she also freelance writes for several publications. She's a lifestyle blog called The Sparkly Life. You can find that at thesparklylife.com, and you can regularly find her on Instagram as Alyssa Herzig and her new bookstagram account. That handle is Alyssa is Booked. One quick thing about our conversation today. So the last book that I highlight in my top five is The Need by Helen Phillips. This book is almost impossible to talk about without spoilers. It really is. So I give a brief overview of the book in the main show and why it made my top five. But then Alyssa and I have a full-on spoiler central analysis of The Need. We just had to. It's totally the type of book you need to discuss with someone the second you're done reading it. I snipped out the spoiler section of that discussion and I've put it at the end of the show, after the outro music, at the very, very end. So if you don't want to hear that part, and if you plan to read this book, I promise you do not want to hear that part. 
then once you hear the music at the end of the show, press stop. If you do want to hear us talk about our theories on the book, The Need by Helen Phillips, then hang in there until the very, very end. All right, that's all my disclaimers and promos. Let's get to a great conversation about some of the best books of the summer with my guest, Alyssa Herzig. Alyssa, I am so excited to talk books with you today because I have followed you for years and years on Instagram, and I just love your reading taste. I love your posts, and now you have a Bookstagram account, which is even better. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on this show with me. This is actually our first time ever speaking or looking at one another. Thanks for having me. I'm so flattered because I feel like you are like my book guru for years. I've gotten so many great recommendations from you. And I also feel like you're a little bit of a book twin with me. Like a lot of times if you like something, I'll love it. If, if you don't, maybe it's not your favorite. It's not usually my favorite as well. So I'm excited for this conversation. Okay, good. Tell the listeners first just a little bit about yourself your story, your life, your blog, and then in a second we'll talk about your reading habits. But like, just sort of introduce yourself to the listeners. So I live in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is right outside of New York City. So sometimes I just say New York City to be easy. Um, I'm a mom of two. I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, and I work from home. For years, I worked in an office as a magazine beauty editor, and that was sort of my life for 15 years. And now I've transitioned to working part-time. So I work, I freelance write. I'm also a contributing beauty editor for Rachel Ray magazine, and I'm a mom as well. So that's what I do at home. And then with reading... I definitely have been a big reader my whole life. As a kid, I was the kind who went to the library and got like a huge stack and just would fall in love, was always reading. But I haven't been a voracious reader really throughout my life. There have definitely been periods where I've kind of given it up for a while. I've gotten busy with other things. Uh, and, and definitely becoming a mom sort of put a big dent in my reading mm. for a couple of years. And then I sort of, and I, I mean, I was always reading, but I wasn't reading a ton necessarily, a handful of books. And then last year I tried to read more. I didn't make a great sort of effort at it. I think I read 22 books last year, which was not a ton. But then towards the end of the year, I really started to pick up. I really, really started to become more excited about reading again. And this year I've really sort of taken it uh, to the next level. What happened at the end of last year that ramped up your reading situation? I think I, I think I was started following people who were big readers, getting a lot of great recommendations, getting sort of more excited about it. And then I read a string of books that I really, really loved. And so then I just sort of made, a, it was on my blog, I made a sort of declaration that I was going to read 30 books this year. That was going to be my thing. It was kind of like, wasn't too much. I read 22 last year. I was going to read more. And then I just started, once I started keeping track of them, that was huge for me. I used a tip from you, actually. You had given a tip on your podcast um, several episodes ago about reading 20 minutes a day. And I started doing that. And that made a huge difference for me. And now I don't I don't necessarily do the thing where I set my timer anymore because now I'm just in. I'm, I, I have my books. I'm reading. I want to I wanna read. But for sort of kickstart me again, that was a huge help for me discovered audiobooks. So I, I, I mostly read quote regular books, but I but I also read audiobooks as well. So it's just sort of like finding these opportunities to read throughout the day for me has just sort of exploded my reading. And I think as of last night, I've read 81 books this year. So it's a big, 
big change for me over last year. Yeah. <laughs> that is a huge change. You went ahead and blew past your 30 yeah. goal. Yeah, I hit 30 in like, I don't know, February or something like that. March, maybe. <laughs> wow, 80 something books. Okay, so a few things. I have a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. On the timer rule, the 20 minute timer rule, even though I read every day, it's a huge part of my life, I still set my timer. That's great. Now, not if I have like, you know, on a weekend, an unlimited few hours to read or not read, but on the weekdays or just if I know if I have a short amount of time instead of like scrolling my phone, setting my timer, even if it's for 10 minutes, 20 minutes I think is is the ideal to get through like a, a couple chapters, but setting the timer... It's such a simple tip, but it really does work in getting you through books. Like if you set your timer for 20 minutes a day, I mean, you can probably read a book every week or two, obviously, depending yeah. on the size of the book. But anyway, that's like my number one tip. So I'm secretly very happy that you used it. Well, I can attest it works. <laughs> Tell me, so then you started a bookstagram and I actually am interested in what you said about that people that when you started following people that sort of motivated you to read or was giving you good recommendations, because I also post a lot about my reading on Instagram, but I feel like it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. One is when I started following people who were giving amazing recommendations, my to-read pile got so big, like almost to stress me out a little bit. Like I was like, oh, there's just so many good things out there and I'm not enjoying this because I just feel like I'm behind all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you, is that is that no, universal? No, I definitely feel the stress of the TBR pile. That's for sure. The keeping keeping track of books has helped me a lot with that because I, you know, like anyone who loves a list, or loves to check something off. It's almost like the it's almost like checking something off because you're adding to it, but in a good way. And so you sort of see the progress of everything. And so it's fun to do 79, 80, 81. You know, it's really it's it's a very satisfying moment. And I keep it on my phone in the notes app. And so literally, like the second I finish my book, I go to my phone and plug it and and write it in. Um, and so that has been very satisfying. But yes, I definitely have the stress of the pile. I my Kindle is full right now of books. And I but I kind of ignore those and get new ones all the time anyway. So yeah, I would probably be like, embarrassed to go through and see how many books are in my house and in my phone that I have not read yet. It would be a lot. (laughs) I know me too. And I just keep buying new ones. I keep thinking that I'm going to do a thing like you see some people being like, I'm going to be on a book buying ban, and I'm just going to read through my the list of things I already have. And I like think, oh, that's such a good idea. And then I never (laughs) do that. (laughs) No, I've never done that. Sometimes I try to check myself a little bit when I know I've been buying too many and I have a lot. So I will just kind of satisfy the urge by just putting it on my Amazon wish list. So at least if I don't put it anywhere, I'm terrified that I'm going to like lose the idea to read this book. But if I put it in my Amazon wish list, at least it's somewhere. So that satisfies somewhat of a need. But yeah, the easiest thing is to just buy it and have it waiting for you. (laughs) That is smart to put it in your wish list. Another thing I'm going to do well, I just turned 40 over the summer and I'm being like nostalgic about all sorts of things, including books. And one of the things that I sort of want to do, and I've been saying for a few years, but now that I'm at this milestone, I'm actually going to do it. I want to go back and reread some of my like all-time favorites. Yeah. I've avoided that because in one sense, it feels like I want to leave those books in the time when they were my favorite, like when I was 20 or something, when I was in college. So I don't want to revisit them and then be like, oh, this actually isn't that good. Or, (laughs) 
you know, I this isn't what I remember. Or, you know, I take something wholly different from it now than I did then. So I haven't wanted to like mess up the memory of it. And so I'm not going to do all of them for those specific reasons. But some books that I know have withstood the test of time because they're classics or because people still talk about them to this day, that kind of thing. Those I do want to revisit. And some of them are really big. Like last year, I reread Stephen King's It, and it's like 900 (laughs) pages or something like that. That's like a commitment. It took me weeks to, Mm -hmm. and I'm a regular reader, and it took me weeks to get through that book. Some of these all-time favorites are also, you know, going to take me a week here or there. And I'm like, oh, do I want to give up my reading time to like revisit these? Right. But then that goes back to that weird competitive feel of like of bookstagram or Instagram, which and I I love following book people on social media. So this isn't a bad thing about it. It's just sort of getting your mind in the right space of like, it is worth it to me to revisit these books that mean something to me, as opposed to taking a gamble on a new release that is very buzzy and maybe I like it and maybe I don't. Anyway, this yeah. is something that's been going around in my head. But I am going to try and make an effort to revisit some of those favorites in my milestone birthday year. Okay, so let's get into the best books that we have read lately. I don't know if you agree or not, but 2019 has been a fabulous reading year. Absolutely. So much better than last year to me. And I I thought, is it just me? Like, maybe it's just the mood I'm in. No, I don't think so. I think that there are, like, really amazing books coming out this year. And I have not always been a huge new release reader. I think the Bookstagram thing has jumped that up in my life because people are often posting about new releases. Also joining Book of the Month, which I did... I don't know, maybe three years ago or something like that. There are new releases every month. So then I got into a habit of reading at least one brand new book every month. And then that got very exciting to be part of like a conversation on the internet and the world about these new books. And so I really got into this reading new releases thing, which has not always been a lifelong habit for me. And it is fun. All of the books but one. Okay, so we're going to each talk about five books. So we have 10 books total we're going to talk about as our, you know, the best stuff we've read lately. And four of the five on my list came out like within the last six months. Yeah. That's so weird for me because I don't always love talking only about new books because I just think there's so much value in reading older books. And Not everybody can purchase books, so then if they want to get them from the library, the new books have long lists. You know, I want to be able to talk about books in a way that is accessible to everyone, and new releases are not always accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. However, these books are all so good. (laughs) When you said I could only pick five, it was actually really, really hard. I mean, I think I I originally sent you like, okay, I'm picking between these like 12. And then, and then I narrowed it down, and then I still am like, oh, there's like two I feel like are really close. Yeah, such a good, such, I mean, I'm just saying, way. I really try to read older books as well, but lately it's been all new releases because there's just so many good ones. There's so many good ones. Now we are, because you and I are both having a hard time narrowing it to five, we'll do our top five, and then at the end we'll just give a few minutes to like our runners up, our notables, if you will, yeah. that didn't quite yeah. make the top five. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right in. I'll go first because I've been talking about this book 
with everyone. I've been telling everyone I know to read it. It is definitely going to be in my top, top, top of the year. And it is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. This book is so good. Now listen, this is memoir, which is one of my favorite genres. And also, in another weird twist, I have not read nearly as many memoir this year as I usually do. It's truly something I love and I just, I don't know why I haven't read as many. This is memoir, but in an absolutely different format than any other memoir I've ever read. It feels like a novel. In fact, I think I know a couple people who read it and did not realize that it was nonfiction. It reads so well. Lori Gottlieb is a therapist here in Los Angeles, and she goes through a really bad relationship breakup. Like she was living with a man, they broke up, it was terrible. She's really struggling. She's having a hard time. So she decides to go see a therapist. So it's a therapist seeing a therapist. So the two stories that are sort of intertwining as the book goes on is she's sharing about some of the patients that she sees as a therapist. And they're (laughs) very sort of typical LA people. One of them's like a big TV producer. One of them is like an older artistic woman. Several people that she sees in her practice. And these are actually real people. I saw Lori Gottlieb speak at a event a few months ago, and she talks about how these are actually her real patients that she does have permission to share about as long as she, you know, blurs some details. And then parallel with that story is her going through her breakup, seeing her own therapist. There's so much about this book that is so good. Number one, it's well-written and is just enjoyable. On surface level, that's enough for me to recommend it to you. But because I'm such a therapy proponent, like I think therapy has changed my whole life. I do not care how LA that is to say. I'm just going to say it anyway. And I think if you are unfamiliar with therapy, this book really, besides just being entertaining, it really does give you an idea of what sessions can be like, the types of breakthroughs that can be made and the growth that can happen through therapy. It also really humanizes therapists like both her and then the one that she sees, which was sort of useful to me because people can sort of fall in love with their therapists in, in a certain sense. So it's sort of useful to see that obviously everyone has their own issues and just because they know the steps to work through something, they still need help to work through something. I just love this book for literary reasons and emotional reasons, and I'm telling everybody to read it. Did you read it? I did read it. I really liked it a lot, too. I think it's a great book. I loved how she she sort of puts it all out there, her own issues. Like, she kind of makes herself look a little nutty sometimes, but it's kind of great. I love her therapist. He's amazing. Right. Um, He seems great. And I think, like, it's kind of, I think it does a great service for people. It kind of makes therapy seem not scary and actually makes it seem really great. I mean, I think if you have never seen a therapist, you would read this book. You should read this book and, like, kind of want to. You know, you want to have someone sort of talk to you and and help you through your all your stuff. I thought it was a great book. Yeah, Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's really good. It's just, I felt a huge connection to it. Okay, what is your first Okay, my first, and I believe this is one you liked too, Recursion. Oh, yes. By Blake Crouch. I loved this book. It's it's like this heart-stopping, mind-twisting, sci-fi, but don't let that scare you, thriller. It follows, there's kind of two parallel storylines that eventually intertwine. So there you 
you first meet Barry. He's a detective in New York City, and he's investigating this mysterious illness that has come over the city, and they've dubbed it false memory syndrome, and it's where people kind of have these memories of a life that that is not theirs. So they might remember a child that is so real to them, but they're living this life without a child. And there've been suicides and depression and all these things because people can't deal with the fact that this, this doesn't seem to be their life, but the memories that they have seem incredibly real. And then the other storyline is this woman, Helena, who's a neuroscientist, and she is studying memory be- for many reasons, but partially because she, her mother is suffering from Alzheimer's and she wants to, she's hoping to restore function to her by studying memory. And then this billionaire comes along and starts funding her research. And she sort of stumbles on a discovery that could sort of change life as we know it and possibly destroy it. And I'm not going to tell any more than that, but I will say that, so I was told that I was going to be confused for the first half of that this book, and that is absolutely accurate. I had no idea what was going on for the first half, but I didn't care because it was still so much fun. It was so interesting. I knew something was coming, and so I was just turning those pages. And then once you sort of start to understand it, oh, it's just like this world that is so cool. I enjoy this book so much, and I have to say, it's one of those books that I, I'm, we talked about rereading books. I'm not a big rereader. I sort of dream about it, but I don't really do it. I can see myself rereading this book because it is so, it was so confusing in the first half that I feel like now that I kind of know, obviously know what happens, that I could sort of maybe look for clues and that sort of thing. So I think this is, and it's so quick. I read this in a day that I think this is one I actually might, might reread one day. It's so good. Did you read his book, Dark Matter? I did not, but I already have downloaded it. That's, it's, you know, it's on my list for sure. I can't, I've heard it's just as good, basically. It is. I think I maybe liked Recursion better, but I'm not sure if that's totally true. I might suffer from that thing where I just read it more recently. I loved them both so much. I think I was less confused in the first half of Recursion because there's some parallel themes to Dark Matter. So I sort of knew where he was going. It's not redundant. It's not annoying or anything that that there's some similar scientific ideas in these two books. But I do think if you've read Dark Matter, you're maybe less confused by what's happening in Recursion. They're really different stories. But yeah, I loved that book too. That was a great summer read. Like it just felt like, oh, it's so satisfying. Yeah, it's so it's just and it is truly, you know, unput downable is kind of overused. But this is really that I mean, once you start this book, like don't schedule anything on your calendar for the next like day or two, because you're not going to want to put this down. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, my next one is The Gifted School by Bruce Holsinger. (laughs) This book is not deep. This is not (laughs) This is not a deep thinking book. This is a wonderful beach read or airplane read or something where you sort of need to pass the time in an enjoyable way. I got it from Book of the Month. It drew me in originally because I got a little bit obsessed earlier in the summer with the LA college admissions scandal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of details, okay. right? <laughs> and... This came out in July, like what perfect timing for him, actually, that just the themes of this, because The Gifted School is about four families, mainly four moms um, and one dad, actually, but four four sets of parents who 
are trying to get their kid into a new school for the gifted that has opened up in their town. And there's like an application process and testing and all of these projects you have to do to get your kids into the school. And so it's these families like all vying for a spot and they're friends. They're 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 all family friends. They all know one another. So there's relational things as well as this, you know, underlying competition. It definitely has vibes of Big Little Lies or all of Leanne Mority's books, but definitely Big Little Lies. I did pause a little bit that it's primarily about a friendship of four women and it's written by a man. Mm. Interesting. I didn't. Thought, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's interesting. Not that that doesn't happen all the time, and not that that can't happen effectively. But I just thought, oh well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, I just had to think about it for a second. I think he handles it well. It's you know, it has good plot points and everything. I don't think it has the same type of inner female monologue that Leanne Moyarty does really, really well. But relationally, there's just lots of sort of like juicy gossip things and scandal in this book. What's funny is, even though I really enjoyed it, like I said, perfect beach read, the scandal types of things that go down in a gifted school, and there's various shades of it, are not nearly as salacious as the ones that are happening in the actual college admission scandal, where people are like photoshopping their children, rowing boats or whatever they're doing. (laughs) It's it's actually more believable in the gifted school than it is in this real life thing that's unfolding. Still, I am recommending it because I think sometimes in the fall, our you know our brains are scrambled. Sometimes you just want like sort of a lighter, entertaining, satisfying ending. You know, there's a big sort of bombshell at the end, but it's highly enjoyable. I just thought the whole thing was entertaining, but not like not a deep thinker necessarily. You read that one, right? I, I read it. I actually just read it uh, earlier this week, actually. I really liked it. I got it from Book of the Month as well. I actually had a hard time getting into it. So I would say if someone is, I would probably say maybe till page 80 or something, I was like, eh, like there were so many people who I trusted who said it was good, so I kept going. But like, if you're not sold in the first 70, 80 pages, keep going, because then it really starts to pick up. Um, I did really like it. You know, we both have kids and school-aged children, and obviously this is a much elevated version of it, but when you have kids in school, you sort of, your all your friends start to come from your kid's school, you know, all of your, your, your circle that you sort of hang out with, a lot of your circle at least. And, and some of the parents do crazy things and just being with other classroom moms and stuff. And obviously not to the level of this book, but you sort of can, you recognize it as sort of like a much elevated version of sort of like what you sort of see in your kid's school and stuff, maybe sometimes. But I, yeah, I thought it was really fun. I really liked it. I did think it was also a little bit long. It probably didn't need to be quite as long as it was, but these are small things. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun and really, really great read. It is a bit long. I have kids in private school. And so as I've watched the real life college admissions scandals go down and in this book, I have had the thoughts. Like It's so easy to condemn these parents and be like, oh my gosh, they're acting like so nutso. But I have not only seen like similar weird behavior. I have like, when we were applying for schools here, like weird things came out of my mouth during the application process. Like, you when you get this sort of desperation and competitive thing going on with your kid, like I do think you can temporarily lose your mind. Now, I, not to the level of like cheating 
on the SAT. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's okay. It's just to read the these different accounts and then to read this sort of lighter fictional version of it. I was like, yeah, this is how it is. Like you go a little bit nuts. Like good people can do like super weird stuff for their kids, like trying to give their kid a leg up. And so I actually liked that a fictionalized version of this came out this summer because, listen, the college admission scandal is absolutely nutty insane, right? Like it is. Yeah. It's of a completely weird level. But just the the process of how a parent, if you start out in kindergarten bribing your way into a private school, like by the time they get to college, maybe you have progressed along to like Photoshopping sports. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's totally, believe me, I applied to private schools in New York City for my daughter. So I understand getting a little nutty about it for sure. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because it's like, it's, I said it was elevated. But at the same time, nothing in this book is so crazy that you that you can see it not that you can't see it happening. I mean, of course, these things could happen. Yeah, totally. I don't know if I would do them. Hope that I wouldn't do them. But I you can definitely see them happening. Totally. I agree. Okay, what's your next one? Okay, my next one is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Woo! <laughs> I know you love this one too. This was actually, I, I love Elizabeth Gilbert, but I realized I'd only read her nonfiction stuff, obviously Eat, Pray, Love, and I read Big Magic, which I also really liked. I'd never read a novel by her. She's an amazing novelist. This book was so great. So I, just as a preface, I love anything that's like old-timey New York. That's mm. so. This was starting out as a plus for me because it's old-timey New York. But it tells the story of a, a young woman named Vivian who is sent by her parents to live in New York City. Uh, with her Aunt Peg. And her Aunt Peg lives in a the- this old theater and runs a theater. And so she makes friends with showgirls and actors, kind of a coming-of-age novel. We see her making mistakes, sometimes very big mistakes. And her life, we watch her life sort of develop in these unexpected ways. I loved the characters in this book. I thought they were so cool and just different. I loved the dialogue. It was so smart and like really funny. I mean, I actually kind of giggled a few times in this book, which is not something I normally do. I literally LOL'd a few times. And I really loved the feminist message, which was kind of unexpected from this book for me. Anytime I read like a historical fiction book or, you know, anything, it it takes place in the 1940s. So it's kind of like our grandma's time. And we don't really think about, at least I never really thought about like the women back there sort of having having sex and unapologetic sex and, you know, hanging out with all these guys and and partying. And it's sort of like, they did that too back in grandma's day. We just don't read a lot about it. And this book, totally, that's what the, you know, a lot of it is. And she's totally unashamed of it. And it's just really, really well written. This is basically historical fiction. It's kind of like no historical fiction I'd ever read before. It's just sort of so fun and, and feels really modern too. Mm-hmm. I thought I agree. I had not read fiction by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen interviews with her or she's written some longer social media captions about the process of writing this book. But she talks about how it kind of just flowed out of her. And if you've been following, I follow her on social media. I think she's amazing mm-hmm. on social media. And she has uh, lost one of the great loves of her life recently. And so she's been in a period of grief, which she has written about you know, sort of extensively. And then she talks about the process of writing this very like fun and it's not always light. That's not the right word, but just like that this book just sort of just flowed out. And when you read it, I feel like you can feel that. Like it just feels effortless. Yeah. Yeah. 
obviously it's easy for me to say, but she describes it that way and it reads that way, that it just feels like it was delivered to her to be delivered to us, like very easy. I didn't choose it in my top five because I knew you were going to, but it is in my top five for sure. I thought this was an amazing summer read and with some historical elements that I actually didn't know. Mm -hmm. It was just all around win for me. I loved every second of it. I did. It's not like a thriller or anything, but I certainly didn't want to ever put it down and just, I I know they're, I I hope they're going to turn into a movie because I think it'd be a great movie, but read this book before you watch the movie that they inevitably will make. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Mm -hmm. Okay, my next one is, this is the only one on my list that's not from this year, and it's just from last year. Okay. (laughs) It's The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. Did you read this? This is the first one I have not read of yours. Yeah, I mean, it's been on my list forever. I actually own a copy. I just haven't read it yet. So I heard mixed reviews on this one from people I trust, and so I really wasn't sure what to expect. And I do understand a little bit of the mixed reviews, but it's on my list because I read this one earlier in the spring and I'm still thinking about it, which for me is, you know, obviously a clue that something really struck me. The Immortalist is about four siblings who, when they're very young and they're sort of playing around in the city, they stumble upon a psychic who tells them the dates of their death. And they're children still, but the the oldest one is like early teenagers, so they're not like children, you know, baby babies. But they take this information at varying degrees of is this true or is this like total hokiness, whatever. And then and then their lives play out. And I won't give any mm-hmm. sort of spoiler to that. But the the underlying question through the whole novel is how would you live differently if you knew the date of your death? If you knew that it was young or if you knew that you were in your 80s, you know, like would this affect your choices? And there's four siblings, so there's four different ways that this can go down. They all handle it differently. And I just thought it was such an interesting question to meditate on. There's some like chicken or the egg scenario. Like if, you you know, did this thing happen because of your knowledge or would it have happened anyway? Well, I don't think I just described chicken or the egg. But anyway, there's there's like a lot of layers to it. I'm really trying not to give any spoilers, but it is so interesting. And they... They know, not all, but some of them know the other one's date. So if you not only knew your own date, but someone else's, like, would it just, how would that change your life for good and for bad? There's options here. Anyway, it's a wonderful premise. It's very well written. You know, it's darker than some people might like. It's just a lot of death talk, basically. (laughs) But... I like dark, so that that part didn't bother me. I just think that it's that it was smart the way that she unfolded these stories. I really liked the characters, but I wasn't so attached to them when they inevitably die. Everyone inevitably dies in a horror book about mortality, but I was very interested to see how their story went, how this was going to go, but I wasn't like crushed by it. You know, those books where you're just like so invested. 
So when I first read it, I was like, oh, I see the mixed reviews here because I wasn't so invested, even though I thought it was smart. But as time has gone on, I've realized like, oh, I obviously was more invested than I thought, not like in a connection way, but just in the ideas that are presented here. And so I just think it's one of those books that will make you think, but also is, you know, on the surface, just an enjoyable novel. So I do recommend it. The Immortalist by Chloe Benjamin. It's from last year. It has a pretty cover. (laughs) this matters i have heard only great things about it actually and um like i said i actually own it i own a physical copy of it so i'm gonna now i'm gonna bump it up so i'm gonna read this asap now because it sounds awesome okay i'll be curious to hear what you think what's your next one okay so my next one is save me the plums by ruth reichel so ruth reichel is the former i mean she's done a lot of things in her career but she is the former editor-in-chief of Gourmet Magazine. And she's written several memoirs, but this one specifically covers her time at Gourmet. It starts out when she's the uh, food critic for the New York, restaurant critic for the New York Times, and she's recruited to come make over Gourmet, which used to be like very housewife, not fancy. And she's she's uh, recruited to come reinvent it. And she does, and she revives it and becomes the Gourmet that we all remember. And then we, we goes through her life at Gourmet several years and then until the magazine business started to tank and the magazine closed. So I come from the magazine business. So this was particularly close to my heart for that reason. I never met Ruth Reichel, but I did work in Condé Nast at the same time that towards the tail end of Gourmet. I think it, I think I worked in the building when it actually closed. So a lot of this, you know, felt very insidery to me that I, and I loved that. But you do not, I know people who have read this book and loved this book and have no connection to magazines besides that they like to read them. Ruth's writing is incredible. She is a beautiful writer and she has this crazy knack for writing like extremely descriptive phrases, but they're, they never feel heavy or boring. Like her writing is so funny and it feels, it feels almost light. It's very quick and easy to read. But again, it's be- it's gorgeous and descriptive. And I'm not typically into food writing. I'm not, I wasn't a gourmet reader back then. I don't read food magazines now. But like she makes me love food writing. I read her actually one of her earlier memoirs earlier this year, Tender at the Bone, which I loved so much. So I would recommend that one as well. That That talks about her early life and it deals with her mother who was a cook, but like a horrible cook. And it's very, very funny. Um, you can read about her beginning. And this is so this is a, her most recent one. I loved it. You don't have to work in magazines. But if you if you just love great writing, this one's for you. So you don't have to love her because I've had people recommend well, originally Tinder at the bone, but then now also I've been seeing Save Me the Plums all over the internet. But I've always felt like I don't I'm not connected to her. I don't read food writing either. Like, do you not have to be a fan of hers to like it? I don't think you have to be a fan of hers. I think it's a standalone book. I think she's such a great writer that I think if you, this happened to me. I mean, I read The Tender at the Bone, but but there's other, there's, I think there's one before that and there's at least one since then. So I haven't read all of her memoirs anyway. And I don't, they're all very contained. Like this one is very much about a specific time in her life. So I think you could start with this one and be fine. There's nothing that you're, you don't have to be a fan of hers. I, like I said, I wasn't a gourmet reader. I never really was a particularly a fan of hers until I just, I think I got tender at the bone. Like I have this email that gives me like book deals every day and it was like a dollar ninety nine. I was like, oh, I'll try that. And I loved it so much. And so when Save Me the Pumps came out, um, I rushed and got it. But 
And I'm going to go back now and read her additional ones because I really, her, the books are quick reading for me. I really rush through them and they're just so beautifully written. Oh, that's so good. Okay. My next one is a nonfiction one. It's not a novel and it's not, doesn't read like a novel. Like maybe you should talk to someone does. It's totally different. And it is Burnout by Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. Have you seen this book with the pink cover? I definitely haven't read it. I don't know if I've even seen this one. So this book I picked up because I read Emily Nagoski's previous book, Come As You Are, which is about sex. (laughs) And it's sort of just like about women's sex drive and how they can get more out of their life. And it was really good. I really liked that book. And so she wrote this one with her sister called Burnout because there was a chapter in Come As You Are that was sort of about female burnout and fatigue and juggling all of the balls in the air all the time and how that affects your body and your libido and that sort of thing. So that chapter in Come As You Are was so popular and she said was always getting asked about when she gave talks and that kind of thing that they did this book, Burnout, and she teamed up with her sister who has a very different story from hers and they also can share about their own story. She's a doctor. Amelia's a conductor. So Burnout is basically, I really want all of my women friends to read it or listen to it on audio if they're not big readers, because there are so many things in it that we can all benefit from. Like if people have been listening for a long time or following me for a while, I've really gotten into the mind-body connection in the last few years as I've been trying to reconnect with my own body and during the aging process and that sort of thing. And she talks about in burnout just a lot of things that I feel like women don't know and we get stuck inside of ourselves. The one that sticks with me the most is completing the stress cycle. And when women go through a period of stress, and I mean even if it's just like a really bad week or, you know, years, like it can even just be in the short term, Once the immediate stress is over, the event is over, whatever, we're still, we just then stuff down everything else. We, we are like, okay, on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. When really she talks a lot about how the body and the psyche has to complete the stress cycle. And you can do that in any number of ways. Like you can go for a run. I don't run. That is not what I do. But you need to like do something physical to get this, the energy gets trapped in your body. And if you never really release this stress that gets trapped inside yourself, it just bottles up and bottles up. And this is why we explode. We don't necessarily explode because of one person or one thing. It is just like a culmination of things. So she's really giving women in particular because she says, and I actually agree, that as a complete generalization, men do this better instinctively. Hmm. And women don't. We hold it together. We like stuff it down. And and not to get off on a very, very generalized tangent about men versus women, but you do see that men maybe have a different release valve, be it like they have an anger explosion, they might tend to exercise more, do something with their bodies more, or through sex or whatever. And women don't. We are really like invested in sort of holding it together all the time. And if you... And I'm harping on this one point about the stress cycle because I think everyone can hear this. Even if they never read the book, I just think it's so important, but I want everyone to read the book. Getting it out of your body 
it really does matter. So I bought a trampoline, like a mini trampoline in my house. And when I am stressed, I will go jump on this trampoline. I've even been known to, she describes this, like stand in the middle of the room and like windmill my arms around, like just moving your body in a big way. Like you just, you have to sort of release this thing that gets trapped inside of you. And as a person who struggles a lot with anxiety, it has been very helpful to me. I realize that my my anxiety absolutely bubbles up when I am not completing the stress cycle. Like even if the thing is over that I'm was upset about or stressed about, I still like sort of hold it in and I never, you know, it takes me a few days to kind of feel back to myself. Moving my body in this big way has been very helpful for that. Anyway, she gives lots of different, that's just one little sliver, but she gives lots of different things about how women live, how we can manage our emotions, our bodies, our relationships, like in a better way, because a lot of us are living in some level of burnout, you know, with our family, with our work, with our spouse, with both, with the state of the nation. (laughs) You know, like there's some deep fatigue, if not all of those things that we're sort of all struggling with. And I just think that she, and she writes very, it's a very easy read. It's not too scientific. It's not too hokey. Like it's, it's very readable. And I really want women to read it. And I want women to be having more conversations like this instead of like talking about with my women friends, we're often talking about how well we are or are not holding it together. Mm. Like I feel like our conversations revolve around here's what I'm doing or here's what I'm not doing or I'm totally falling apart or I'm, you know, and I just feel like it's a good conversation starter to be like, okay, you know, let's talk about like what this actually is instead of just the many fires that we're putting out and how we're doing that all the time, that there's like a deeper way to address some of these, you know, middle life, middle stage of parenting stresses. I can't believe I haven't heard of this book yet. It sounds really, really interesting. And definitely, it sounds like something, a lot of times I do my nonfiction uh, with audiobook. I, I cannot follow fiction and audiobook. This sounds like something that I, I might want to do that way, maybe. The only thing about doing it on audio is I underlined so many things. Like I highlighted so many things that I wanted to just come back to that I almost feel like if I listened to it, even though the information would be fantastic to listen, but then you'll be like, wait, I want to go back to that, you know? Yeah, that's the audiobook is not good for referring back to things. That's for sure. (laughs) Okay. What's your next one? Okay. My next one is Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keene. Okay, this is a story of two neighboring families. They both have a police officer father, and their children, boy and a girl, begin this like friendship, young love thing. But the it sort of comes seems to come to an abrupt end when there's this sudden, very tragic event that happens that sort of changes everyone's lives forever, and also kind of links the families together forever in a way that kind of unexpected. And it's this kind of searing look at family drama, addiction, mental illness, redemption, and and it can be very depressing in parts, but there's also, uh, or very have very depressing moments in parts, but it's also very hopeful. I thought the writing was gorgeous, and I thought it had some of the best character development that I've read in a very long time. I really cared about these people. I really felt like I knew them. Um, there was a lot of really great moments in the book. And for when you kind of go through the whole book thinking, I mean, this is not giving anything away, but you kind of go through the whole book wondering what the title means. And there's a moment in the book where you where you know what the title means. And I, my heart kind of like soared in that moment. It was just such a, it, I kind of had this feeling like, oh, 
I just, I love this book. It's the kind of thing that I feel like stays with you. Yeah, I just thought it was beautifully written and great characters. I read this one when I was traveling and I agree with you. It also felt, compared to some of the other books we've talked about that are like absolutely very outlandish in a way in their premise or in their characters, this book felt so real to me. Yes. Like, I just felt like, oh, yeah, I know these people. Like, these are your neighbors. There's nothing about this that is amplified to make a point or whatever. It just felt very, very, very real, very, very realistic. And when I read it, I was like, oh, I haven't read a book like this in a while that's sort of just normal people. There's one extraordinary circumstance at the beginning, but then almost everything else feels like this is just how normal people would deal with an extraordinary thing. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean by the characters. I mean, or part of what I mean by that is just that the characters just felt so real to me. And part of that, I guess, is because they they were kind of like, quote, normal people. You know, they just, I think she did such a great job of just making them really come alive. That they, It almost felt like you were reading about a family you knew, maybe. Like it was, and you really, I felt like I really cared. I was invested in what happened to these, to the two main characters um, throughout the book. I really cared. I loved it. That was great. Yeah, I did too. That was a really good one. Okay, my last one in my top five is very polarizing. (laughs) And there's absolutely no way that I was not going to put this on the list. Not because it's the best thing I've read, but because it is crazy. It's The Need by Helen Phillips. Yep, I read it. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, and use code U, Y-O-U. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. 
Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Listen, this book. Okay, so one thing that's hard to talk about on this podcast about this book is I'm pretty much telling everyone that don't read anything about it, like just read it. And so I almost, I like don't want to give, I almost don't want to give anything away. What I can say is it's a new mother, you know, newish mother who's a full-time working mother. She's a archaeologist and her husband travels a lot for work. <laughs> I feel like that's all I can say. <laughs> There's like almost nothing that you well, can say like about this book. A big part, but yeah, I know you don't want to give it away. <laughs> you just can't give anything away. But okay, if you really, really don't want any spoilers, just fast forward a little bit here because one thing I do want to say is what I've loved reading online, people debating about this book because people either love it or absolutely hate it, cannot even get over how much they hate it, is there's like a debate about is this book science fiction or is this book about mental health, postpartum stuff? I land squarely in one camp, but I just loved reading the debates about it because there, this book is so weird. I guess I should have started with that. And not so weird that you can't follow it. Not like annoyingly, poetically weird, but... You're like, this is, is this real? What is this? What is happening? You don't really know what's happening here. The, not only is the narrator unreliable, like even the side characters feel unreliable. Like everybody feels like we aren't exactly sure what world we're in. And I loved that. I don't always like weird. I sort of have to be in the mood for it. But I do most of the time like unique. I thought this book was so unique and I just hadn't read anything in a while where I was like, oh, this is a whole different ballgame. As I was reading it, even though I wasn't like this is the best thing I've ever read, I was thinking this is a different – we are in a different ballgame in this book. Yeah. I do think that she's an amazing writer. I just loved the – I loved how she did everything. I don't think this gives anything away to say this. I will say this because for people with – sometimes this is a trigger for people with little children and they, they don't want to read about this kind of thing. So I do want to say that it starts out with a mom and her two little tiny children sort of hiding in the bedroom, cowering because she thinks she hears noises. She thinks that there's someone in the house. Mm-hmm. And from that opening scene, I was hooked. I think – there's sort of two things I really liked about this book. I read it as well. So I think, and I don't think these are, I'm not going to say anything that's going to give anything away. I think one is, one thing I really liked about this book is sort of a struggle that moms aren't aren't necessarily always honest about that sort of like sometimes hanging out with your kids is the best thing in the world. And sometimes it's like so incredibly hard and mentally hard, physically hard. And this is a good look at that and sort of examination of that, that push and pull of sort of both extremes. And then the other side, I get, 
this one is the one that's hard to talk about, but like there is, and it's a huge part of this book is that there is this sci-fi thing element of it that I loved. And I was so invested in that. And I, you know, it it was kind of like, you don't really know what's going on at first, but once you sort of realize it, it's very cool. I really liked this book a lot. I don't know if it was my top five, but I really liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. Again, this is a quick read. I don't know. Like, I I hope you're not scaring people off by saying it's weird. It's not like you're reading it and thinking like, this is so weird. Like you're reading it and loving it. So I know what you mean by weird, by knowing like what happens and everything now, but um, don't be, don't be scared by calling it weird. It's not, I think you'll like it. I think, I don't know, or you'll hate it. You'll either love it or hate it, right? (laughs) Okay. What's your last one? So my last one is American Predator and the full name is The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 20th Century. The author is Maureen Callahan. Uh, This is nonfiction, but this is one of those that is truly just as thrilling as a great crime novel. Probably more so because it really happened. This guy is so scary and it really happened. So it's a story of a serial killer who most people have never heard of. His name is Israel Keys. And part of the reason that no one has ever heard of him is because the police department really botched the investigation of him. And they've really tried to keep a lot of the information about it quiet. So this woman, the writer, she uses interviews, police notes, court transcripts, and her own research to reconstruct some of his crimes and and so you're like kind of right there in the moment and then everything that came after uh with him and he's he's particularly scary i'll tell you a little bit about him i i kind of knew this going in because i i googled him beforehand i would say don't even do that like it's better to just go in with limited knowledge but he was a dad he had a young daughter he was a very normal seeming guy and he what kind of made him so scary is that he really defied a serial killer stereotypes like he didn't have, you know, like Ted Bundy killed young women. He didn't have a type. He killed anyone. He killed complete strangers. He didn't like stalk them. He would just sort of go up on a whim and kill them. He killed all over the country. He would stash these duffel bags, bury them with weapons and things to tie people up. You know, it's it's kind of like the most horrible story, but it's also so interesting and so well done. My one sort of warning would be that it can be pretty graphic because you read a lot of it in his own words that are taken from transcripts and from his, he gave confessions on some of them. And so you hear, and he's, he's a psychopath. So obviously he's very cold and matter of fact in describing details of how some people have died. And so it can be kind of shocking, but it's just, it's such a fun read. I ripped through this one in like a day, really enjoyed it. Do you read a lot of true crime? No, I actually don't. Um, I would say like that I went through a phase where I was doing a lot of like true crime podcasts and that sort of thing. I wouldn't say I read a ton of it, but I I enjoy it. I do love I love something like this where it's where it's nonfiction, but it reads like a like a novel. I love that sort of sort of way of doing it. Yeah. And I think this was just like a really fun read, really interesting and just sort of learning about someone who I had never heard of in my life before. I know. I've never heard of him either. And I went through true crime decades, to be honest. I got really into true crime in the 90s before the modern explosion. Read a lot of true crime books in the early 2000s. And then, like you, went through a heavy podcast and documentary and all of that true crime phase. I've sort of been out of it for a while. But I have to admit, when there's a good, when there's a good thing... I do. St- I I am still really drawn to it. I didn't like how it, the true crime genre has been has become so saturated, and they are not 
all equal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it just starts to feel icky, like that we're really making these tragedies into entertainment. You know, that's different to me than like a journalistic view or doesn't always have to be journalistic, but either truly artistic thing or like something that some, that has something to say Yeah, in a way that's more interesting than just like, oh, let's look at all these different murders. You know, I don't know. Um, but I will dip back in like on a good recommendation like this, like something that's very well done and you learn a little something and that kind of thing. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. And I think it's it's sort of interesting, too, that she goes into a lot of the ways the police botched this and the, prosecu- the prosecutor was horrible. And so that's interesting. It's sort of an interesting aspect. But uh, yeah, a lot of it is voyeuristic, but it's it's a lot of fun. I do think it, she did it really well. And it's just sort of crazy that and this was recent, too. This was relatively recent. I mean, I think he was active like early 2000s to about maybe 2014 or so. Oh, wow. That is recent. Maybe 2012. Yes, because he's suspected of some things that happened in like 2011 and stuff. So I think it was 2012 when he was sort of when it ended for him. It's not it's not ancient history. It's really recent. And it's sort of just crazy that sort of no one's ever heard of him. Yeah, that is crazy. Okay, I'm going to check that one out for sure. Okay, so those are our top five that like we wanted to give a few more minutes to, but I just want to touch on briefly some very buzzy books of the summer, like the type of books that everyone was talking about that you sort of saw everywhere that we may or may not be recommending, but we just want to mention <laughs> because we read them. I have a few of those. I guess I want to start with a book that I loved the first 75%, like would have been on this list, would have probably been on my year-end list. And then for whatever reason, the last, well, not for whatever reason, I have reasons. The last 25%, I it bumped it all the way off. And that is The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. Did you read that? It's it's like next on my list. It's funny because I've heard only good things about it. So I've been really excited. I've been intimidated by the length of it. It seems a little bit long. It's really long, but it goes very, very quickly. Now, it's so well written. I was in it with this family. It's a a family drama, like a dysfunctional family drama, which I typically love. (laughs) They're quirky, but not too much. You know, I mean, they're just, they are a, a real family. Not real like the Ask Again Yes families, like definitely a novel family, if you will. You know, everything is like a little bit enhanced and the plot points are enhanced and their personalities are sort of bigger than life. And I was all the way in it. I I thought for a long time, and by a long time, I mean a few days, about why this didn't end up being five stars. Because truly like 75% of the way through, I love this. Claire Lombardo is a great writer. This is her debut novel and I will absolutely pick up her next one. She's very good at what she does. I couldn't believe this was a first-time novel for her. And so I do want to talk about it because I think most people that I've seen are giving it four or five stars. Like, people are really, really loving it. It is too long, but that's, you know, preference, mm-hmm. taste preference. And I just want to say the the one of the reasons that I didn't, by the end, was like, ah, I don't know. Maybe it was because of the length and I just got over it. I, it feels a lot like the show Parenthood, Mm. where you really love this family. There's, you know, five or more storylines going, but they're easy to keep track of it, you know. 
there's dysfunction, there's humor, there's, it's just felt like the show's parenthood for me, which I also could not do more than a few seasons of. Like, I guess I can't be in it with a quirky, dysfunctional family f- for too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard great things about it. It's been on my list. But yeah, it's every time I've been trying to like read a ton to prep for this podcast. And um, I've always like, Oh, that was a little too long. I'm going to rather read a couple shorter ones. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very long. Now, I do think, like some of the others we talked about, it's a it, it's a good summer read. It's because it's enjoyable and it it is very long, but it doesn't feel super long until the end. Like I was really enjoying myself reading it, and it would be great on a vacation, on an airplane, that on you know for a long weekend, that kind of thing. I just for me, I I don't know why I. I'm mentioning it because I think this is a me thing and not necessarily about the book. I don't always differentiate between those two things. That I just need to ta- I needed to tap out. Like by the end, I was like, I'm tapping out of this family. I am done with this family. But <laughs> but other people that I respect and trust are giving this book five stars. So I just it, it needs to be mentioned on a on a book show like this. I yeah. think. Do you have one you wanted to mention? One that was almost in my top five, it was really hard not to put it there, was Fleischman is in Trouble. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Taffy Broadister Ackner. Mm -hmm. She's one of my favorite writers. I mean, she's actually, this might be her first novel, but I think it is. But she writes these amazing profiles, like the Gwyneth Paltrow profile in New York Times, and she's on Bradley Cooper. Just amazing, amazing writer. I loved this book a lot. It tells a story of this, this New York man who's going going through a divorce and you just hear about his awful wife and she she then she disappears she leaves him with the kids oh she's so annoying it's very funny it's very new yorky and then we get the wife side and it's a little bit of this becomes a different story um i thought this book was so smart so funny very new york feel it was so close to being in my top five i definitely recommend it i loved it did you read it i did read it and there's so much I liked about it. It's so well written. I also really love her profiles. I think she did a Lena Dunham one years ago that I like still think about. I think her writing is amazing. I was shocked it was her first, although we already have established she's a good writer. It was funny. The dialogue was funny. I didn't super love it. It would not have been in my top five. I felt like there were some glaring plot holes. Mm. <laughs> and I don't like to say that like I'm, you know nitpicking it like the, there were a few things about the main character the dad the husband is a doctor and there was sort of like this b or c plot of what's happening in the hospital that i felt like it, i just there was some i just felt like either it didn't tie it up and i didn't need to tie it up with a bow it just felt like i, I just felt, there were a few things like and then as a, a parent because they're dealing with their two little kids there are yeah. some things where i'm like that's not how that would happen with their kids' summer camp. Like, that's just mm-hmm. not how you would deal with that as a parent. I don't uh-huh. know how to explain it. Like, they were like <laughs> plot points, basically. They were like yeah. these plot points that I was like, well, that's mm-hmm. weird, kind of. Like, it didn't seem realistic in an otherwise, in a book that is otherwise trying to be realistic. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a fantasy yeah. where you can just like do whatever. Sure. And so I was yeah. like, I don't know. This is this is not how this would happen in a workplace. This is not how this would happen at summer camp. It just felt like weird to me. Uh-huh. And so... But I love the writing. I loved the different perspectives. Like, there are things about it I really, really, really liked. But I just couldn't, like, some things I couldn't get past it where I just like, this feels like not unfinished, but not wholly paid attention to. 
Interesting. It's funny. I didn't really know. I, I wonder if like we talked more specifically if I would like know them, but I, I feel like I did not even notice the plot holes because I was just really enjoying it so much. But but I, we can agree to disagree on this one. But you kind of liked it. So. I kind of I kind of liked yeah. it. I think I mean, maybe even gave it, I mean, maybe even rounded up to four stars for it just because it is enjoyable and yeah. made me think there was seeing the different perspectives between two people going through a divorce, but in a funny way, not like in a Fates and Furies way which I ended up really liking Fates and Furies, but a lot of people hated it. This was not that, except for it was two different perspectives, which I think is valuable. It gave me something to think about. You're you're set up to feel one way about the spouse, and then when you read their perspective, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, clearly I was not getting the whole story. And that is very purposeful and important storytelling technique. But, yeah, there's just a few things about that just sort of itched me. Mm-hmm. That's okay. <laughs> I feel like we should mention Three Women. Did you read Three Women? I did read Three Women. I know what you're going to say about it because I read your review. I thought it was just okay. I mean, I've read people love that book and people hate that book. I'm definitely somewhere in the middle. I thought it was fine. I was bored for a lot of it. I do respect what the woman did. It's about this woman who she spent eight years following these three women, you know, got their sex lives and it's very detailed. I thought it was just okay. I could have done without it. I'm glad I read it, I guess, because it was a big, you know, it's a big cultural talking point, I feel like, in the book world this this year. I, I could have done without it. I didn't hate it, even though I gave like a critical review of it on Instagram, which I almost never do, but I felt like it was worthy of a discussion. Mm-hmm. Some people took my critique of it to be that I hated it. I absolutely did not hate it. I don't even mm-hmm. think I said that or even insinuated that. I didn't like it, mm-hmm. but I also respected what she was doing. I think she is a good writer. I've since read a little bit about her process of this eight years of research, and it seems like that several of the people she was following and trying to make a story about like fell out. Like it was originally, I don't want to get this wrong, but there were more women. Mm-hmm. And then some people decided they didn't want to participate or like got cold feet. And so then it became focus- focusing on the three women that she covers in the book. And I couldn't help but wonder if this would be a whole different thing if it was more than mm. three women. Now, possibly not, possibly Lisa Taddeo was going exactly for what she wrote. It just happened to be less people than if she'd done eight women or whatever. But the level of detail that she goes into in the sex act (laughs) repeatedly, I was like, is this almost like filler? This is what I mean by if it had been examining five or eight women, would you go into such detail on this thing over and over to make this point. Yeah. Like it almost felt like filler. Now I would use the word filler. Roxane Gay on her Goodreads review, she said it felt like a transcription. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. The yeah. act. And this one's also hard for me to talk about. There's a lot of controversy around it. I hear what you're saying that it was just okay. I I felt like I did not feel as strongly about it as I feel like people thought I did. It's just that I never post negative reviews. And so I think that people really took that to me like, oh, I hated it so much that I needed to post about it. Yeah. That was absolutely not my motivation at all. It was more just like, this is a national conversation. Everybody's reading this book. And I haven't seen anybody 
say anything but amazingness. And so I just want to offer like, if you're seeing this everywhere, like I didn't think it was amazing. I thought that was good that you did that because I kind of had read it and was kind of keeping it to myself because I was like, oh, something's wrong with me that I didn't get out of this book, what everyone else seems to be getting out of it. Um, And then I was like, okay, phew, I'm not the only one when you said that. (laughs) Yeah, that's the value I learned. I don't want to be a person that posts constantly negative reviews. I very often read three-star books that I never post to any of my social media channels because they were just okay to me and I don't want to just be like, this book was just okay, or or even to like explain why I didn't love it. I don't very often do that. By doing that on this book that everyone else was raving about, I did realize like, like there is a value in not always posting the glowing reviews. Right. No, that's true. Yeah. I don't want to be the person who does that very often. Like I want other people to take on that burden most of the time. But a whole good conversation came out of it in terms of really saying what didn't work for you about a book occasionally. And so I, I, separate from Three Women itself, like I sort of learned about like, oh, how we talk about books online. Like I feel like I learned a lot from that book. Oh, I was going to ask you about, because it wasn't on your list and I think you just finished it. And I, people are, I keep seeing people post about it. What did you think about A Nearly Normal Family? Okay, I lo- I did love this book. And originally it was like when we first started talking about doing this podcast, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be on my list. And then I read more and it kind of falls down. This is definitely near the my top five to me. It's a, it's a story told in by three different characters about a, a, a mur- there's a murder that happens and a, a daughter, a young woman is arrested for it. And you sort of see, first it's told from the father's perspective, then it's, I think it's the daughter next. I can't remember. So it's the daughter, the mom, and then the father. And it goes through and you really, you're back and forth on who did it, the, whether the, whether, or whether or not the, the daughter did it really until the final page. And I liked that because it really kept you guessing and kept you turning those pages. And it also, I felt it asked, you know, the when the the father kind of goes through sort of suspecting maybe his daughter did it, oh no, she could never have done that. But when he's thinking, oh God, maybe it was her, there are some things that he does to kind of make it less likely that anyone is going to suspect her or find out, or he sort of covers her tracks a little bit. And it's kind of, so it made me sort of think about, you know, what would I do for my own children if I were in this situation? You know, I would obviously, I hope I'm never in the situation, but you know, if I was in a situation where I didn't think she did it, or the, you know, my daughter or son did it, but there are these kind of suspicious things. Like, would I, do you take that step to help your, how far would someone go to help their own child? So I thought it, it begged some interesting questions like this. And I thought it was just like, a, it really turned those pages because you really wanted, you really did not know. Yeah. I went back and forth. Oh, she definitely did it. Oh, she definitely didn't do it. And then in the end you do find out. And I thought it was a satisfying ending as well. Oh, that's good. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. 
Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Is there anything that you're looking forward to reading in the fall or what are you reading right now? We're Let's just do some final thoughts. I've already pre-ordered The Testaments, the uh, sequel to Handmaid's Tale, which I have to admit, I have not actually read The Handmaid's Tale yet, but I am a huge fan of the show. I absolutely love it. So my, So I'm going to read The Handmaid's Tale, actually read it, and then The Testaments comes out in September. I've already pre-ordered it, so I'm excited for that. And then I think that's the that's the only book. There's a few other books that are kind of on my radar. I've heard American Royals is kind of fun. I heard The Other's Gold by Elizabeth Ames. I'm looking forward to that. And there's a I do like a good memoir and Wild Game. I've heard it's a good memoir. I think that I heard a couple different people mention that. So yeah, so I plan to be doing a lot of reading this fall as well. How about you? I am currently reading Miracle Creek. Oh, okay. I have, I, that's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. I kept seeing that everywhere. That's been, it sort of was a big book, maybe in the spring, like months ago, I was feeling like everybody mm-hmm. was reading that and I avoided it. Listen, this is my like fully confession that I avoided it because I didn't like the cover. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted something quick over the weekend and I don't remember why, but some, somehow I clicked purchase and I got it on my Kindle and So I'm reading it. It is pretty good right now. What do I have on deck for the fall? Well, I just got, this just came out and I am a few chapters in and so far it's excellent, but I'll wait till I finish it. I did buy How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I hope I said that right. And I also have, this isn't coming out in the fall, but I have White Fragility along those same lines. But my my goal for the fall is truly to go back to some of my favorites. I'm just going to list a few of my all-time favorites that are worth a revisit for me in the next few months. The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorites. A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by Dave Eggers. These are both those are both books that I read when I first moved to LA, so I was in my early 20s, this would have been early 2000s. Those are books that I feel like, although I was really attached to them at the time, I don't feel like it will be devastating to me if I reread them and and they're not as amazing. Mm-hmm. I also wonder, also from the same time period, would love to reread The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen. Mm-hmm. I, I know that he is all kinds of annoying in the things that he says about readers and, you know, (laughs) but I think he is a really excellent writer and I enjoy him. And when I read the corrections, I read it when it came out and I loved the writing. It was an example of something where I was like, oh, I really love this, but I I actually am not sure I get it. I knew I was self-aware enough to know at the time that I wasn't sure I got it, but I just, I enjoyed it anyway. Well, I'm 40 now, so we're going to see if I get it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go back. I want to reread that one. It's not on my all-time favorite list. It's just something that sort of stayed in my home library all this time. And sometimes when I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I always said I was going to get back to that one, and I'm going to. So I want to re- revisit some classics as well. I'm just doing this this tick off of like, 
the books that you always say you want to give another go for whatever reason that you say that, but then you never actually do because mm-hmm. the reasons we already talked about, I'm I'm making a goal to actually do that. So I just have not a not an overwhelming list, like maybe eight-ish books that I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to these. So do you think you're gonna do that this fall? Or are you gonna kind of do one and read some new releases, come back a few months later, or do you think you're gonna kind of go through them all? I'm not gonna go through them all because I know myself and I'll be like, you know, following what everyone else is reading and feeling like I'm <laughs> living in the nineties or whatever. Like <laughs> so I know that I'm gonna like do one and then I'll like read some yeah, more releases and then and then do another one. I actually thought about starting a whole project around this, around rereads, like either a podcast project or a series of blog posts, which I might still do in just a way to document it. I'm not going to do another podcast. Nobody freak out. (laughs) Um, But I might either do it as bonus content on this this show or just as blog posts. Maybe I'll just write out my feelings. But I do want to document this sort of revisiting way just because, again, I know a lot of readers who are like, oh, I've always sort of wanted to go back to that, but I haven't. And maybe it's not – maybe it's not a worthy pursuit. Maybe it is. It's not like revisiting a classic. Like a few years ago on my blog, on my former blog, I did a project where I did a little book club because I led a discussion on it online with some classics. We did Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, Frankenstein, these sort of things that you either read when you were in school or you didn't ever read and always meant to, that kind of thing. The classics are different. If that's like a like either academically or just to fill in gaps of your education or whatever is a reason that I think you would maybe want to read those books. Rereading your personal favorites, like the Poisonwood Bible or whatever, that's really saying more about like who you were when you read them. That's more of like an mm-hmm. inner inner work to me of like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't relate to this so much anymore or yeah, that was amazing, still amazing. Like when I say I don't get the corrections, well, that's also a dysfunctional family drama. And I read it when I was like 22. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a family. I didn't understand my family of origins dysfunction myself quite yet. Like, you know, I just, I'm going to have a really different perspective yeah. on a book like that. And so, yeah, I just, it, that's, what, it's more of inner work to revisit those type of books versus like rereading classics. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how I want to document that publicly, but but I do. I, I think this is for readers, like a thing that we talk about. Like, do you reread? Do you, you know, how do you feel about rereads? Do you want to leave those things in the past as like, that meant a lot to me then and I'm just going to let it keep meaning a lot to me. Okay, well, this has been so fun. Thank you for talking books with me. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I loved, I loved preparing for it. I was reading like crazy, extra, extra crazy to, uh, to prep for this. And it was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet if they want to follow what you're reading these days. So my blog is called The Sparkly Life. I'm probably changing the name soon, but for right now you can find it at thesparklylife.com. It's a lifestyle blog. I talk about beauty, fashion, parenting, and a lot of books now these days. Or I spend a lot of time on Instagram as well, which is just my name, Alyssa Hertzig. And I also have a bookstagram where I talk exclusively about books, and that is Alyssa is Booked. And it's it doesn't have that many followers, so please feel free to follow me at either one. <laughs> Awesome. And I will link to all of this in the show notes. I will tag you in pictures talking about this episode. So if anybody is listening and you want to go find Alyssa, 
I will make it easy for you. So thank you so much. And you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10thingstotellyou. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something. Well, now I have to know, and maybe I'll put this as like a bonus for people who have read it and just want to like hear us talk about it with spoilers. I'll take this out of the main show. Do you think it is, was science fiction? It was like a little bit of an element of like recursion in a way or like dark matter where there's parallel worlds. Or is it, was this psychosis? Well, definitely the whole book, I was thinking it was the sci-fi angle, like that it was this other world. And I was like loving it because I'm so into that sort of thing. But then when I got to the end, I thought, oh, okay. I think it was kind of like a psychosis thing, but I I sort of didn't get that until basically the very, very end. I kind of thought the whole time that it was um, a parallel universe. And I still don't know for sure, but that's kind of where I landed in the end, that it was this, uh, this sort of psychosis that she had. I... And the opposite. I fully okay. <laughs> thought it was psychosis the whole time. And maybe because of my own experience with, I did not have postpartum psychosis, although I, I know people who have, but I had extreme postpartum anxiety and just, you know, a lot of sort of mental health stuff when my babies were little, where I was very, very fearful. And it's, this is what I was trying to say earlier, but wasn't able to. When it starts out where she is, hiding Mm -hmm. and is so fearful. This is also how I was. I was convinced there was someone in the house all the time. I was like, I really related to that. And so I guess from just my own lens, I was like, oh, this is psychosis. Even when someone pops out of the coffee (laughs) table with a deer head on, I'm still thinking it's psychosis. Well, not in that very scene because I thought maybe we were having a home invasion. But then when it when we we understand that it's mall and all of that, I'm like, oh no, she's having like a schizophrenia, mm. almost like a schizophrenia episode. And mall is going to be the bad version of her, almost or whatever. I thought that the whole time, but then when we got to the end, I was like, well, if that's true, like, what about the Bible with the female pronouns. Like, what about the other things that are outside of her experience? Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I would love to – now I want to Google, like, interviews with the author and sort of – I wonder what – I would love to hear what, what she says. I don't know. I, I kind of like to – I like to have the discussion and I like to have it, like, the right the quote right answer from the author. <laughs> 
I don't think she must be giving it away. I haven't read any interviews with her, so maybe we'll Google and see. But when I'm reading like people's debates on Instagram, no one seems to know. So hmm. I, I'm, I think she doesn't, I think she's leaving it ambiguous on purpose. Yeah. I thought the scenes were so tense when she's sort of flashing back or remembering the world where she's starting to give the talk before there's an explosion or in one world there's never an explosion. I don't know. Like I thought it, I was exact opposite of you where I thought it was psychosis the whole time or schizophrenia. I'm not using those words interchangeably. Not a doctor. But then when we got to the end, I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe that – now I, that I kind of wanted to read it again. It's pretty short. And I was like, I want to go back and see like are we doing parallel worlds or are we doing a commentary on early motherhood or both? Yeah. I, I, I do think it's a really good book and then it does – in, kind of invite all these questions and sort of it would be a good book club book I think oh it would be such a good book club yeah. book yeah did you see the Charlize Theron movie Tully so funny you say that because it reminded me a lot of that yeah in the very because in the end when you realize obviously like what's happened it's similar it's a similar idea to like if it's psychosis it's like similar to that except yeah. like way darker yeah <laughs> Yeah. No, I loved all the uh, I loved all the sci-fi sort of like parallel universe things. So I want it to be real, but I don't know. I don't know if it is. I can't decide. It's so visual. Like I was like this would be the creepiest movie. Like when the person who within found out is a she, I guess, is wearing the deer mask. That is so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. No. This would be a great movie. Uh, I think again this Probably will could become a movie. It would be really good, like a Netflix kind of thing. Yeah, it would. The thing that nailed it down for me that made me think it was schizophrenia, the scene that I definitely went to that was the birthday party scene where she wears the fish costume and she sends the babysitter. The babysitter's gonna come in the fish costume and then she sends the babysitter away. And Maul wears the fish costume the whole time. I felt like that scene, there were a lot of clues that uh, Molly and Maul were the same person because Molly, the main mom, talks about how she like doesn't talk to anybody at the party really. She sort of just like cleans up Mm -hmm. or whatever and is very antisocial. And then at the end when when Maul in the fish costume is cleaning Mm -hmm. the kitchen and she realizes that it's not the babysitter, that it's Maul. And I, that was the one scene where I was like, oh, no, this has been the same person. She has been in the fish costume the whole time, mm-hmm. not talking to anybody, sort of obsessively cleaning, but sort of having almost like an out-of-body experience, like watching it, you know? And then at the end, this book is so hard to talk about. Like, I, yeah. I'm usually not, – not even a spoiler way, even in a regular way. Like, I'm like, I yeah. don't – this is hard to talk about. 